0: Hello, Roy here. I just wanted to let you know that you can listen to The Roy Green Show ad free on Amazon Music, included with Prime. Seven words that'll scare any politician. Roy Green is holding on line one. The Roy Green Show on the Chorus Radio Network continues. Been doing a lot of reading uh, over the last couple of years, particularly, on electromagnetic pulses, EMPs. They're the natural variety, and then there are the ones that are of huge, huge and existential concern. And that variety consists of thermonuclear devices exploded in the atmosphere or above the atmosphere. I don't know how far the atmosphere goes up. But uh, let's say the two North Korean satellites that are orbiting the United States, the contiguous United States, let's say those two North Korean satellites were being used as platforms for thermonuclear devices to be exploded, the impact would be immense. And some people have suggested that such an explosion would destroy the entire power grid, not only the United States, but Canada as well. And that by the end of a year, 90% of the population would be dead. Now, there are people who poo-poo this, because it's always easy to say, no, it could never happen. And I'm going to be talking to Dr. Um, Peter Pry in just, just a moment. I, I just want to read this. This actually is from something Dr. Pry sent me, just to bring it into context. Real-world failures of electrical grids from various causes indicate that a nuclear EMP attack would have catastrophic consequences. Significant and highly disruptive blackouts have been caused by single-point failures cascading into system-wide failures originating from damage comprising far less than one percent of the total system. For example, the great northeast blackout of 2003 that put 50 million people in the dark for a day contributed to at least 11 deaths and cost an estimate $6 billion, originated from a single failure point when a power line contacted a tree branch. The New York City blackout of 1977 that resulted in the arrests of 4,500 looters and the injury of 550 police officers was caused by a lightning strike on a substation that tripped two circuit breakers. The great northeast blackout of 1965 that affected 30 million people happened because a protective relay on a transmission line was improperly set. And India's nationwide blackout of July 30, 31, 2012, the largest blackout in history, affected 670 million people, 9% of the world's population, and it was caused by the overload of a single high-voltage power line. Oh, no. We're not dependent on the power grid. Oh, no. and Nothing could happen to it. And, of course, we know that when a natural EMP event happened in Hawaii, just a series of streetlights burst. So everybody's leaning on that. Uh, Dr. Peter Vincent Pry is the Executive Director of the Congressional Task Force on National and Homeland Security, and he's the Chief of Staff of the Congressional EMP Commission. He's issued a warning to the White House recently about the threats and the danger of EMPs, and Pointed at North Korea. He's also the author of Blackout Wars and Electric Armageddon. Dr. Pry, thank you so much for taking the time. Thank you so much for having me. So the 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 Commission to assess the threat to the United States from electromagnetic pulse attack was established by Congress in two thousand and one. What was the threat then? What is the threat now? And in, in in simple terms for simple people, how much danger are we potentially in?
1: The whole world faces an existential threat, and North America in particular, because our societies are the most advanced technologically, and we are more dependent than most of other societies, the most dependent societies, in fact, both America and Canada, I mean the United States and Canada, on electrical systems, electrical power and the like. Mm -hmm. There's the threat from the sun that you mentioned, for example, which isn't just a theoretical threat that might happen, It will happen. It's inevitable that it will happen. NASA estimates the likelihood is 12% per decade, which virtually guarantees that within this generation or the next, we will experience another geomagnetic superstorm like the 1859 Carrington event, which is the largest uh, geomagnetic storm known to us on record, the largest solar storm known to us on record, which, if it happened today, would affect the whole world. The Carrington event in 1859 affected the whole world. Fortunately, back in those days, those horse-and-buggy days, civilization was not dependent on on electricity, and the electrical systems that existed weren't, weren't foundational to societal survival. Telegraph systems existed, you know, early primitive electronics, and the colonial powers had put telegraph systems in wherever they put in railroads, and they had put in railroads and telegraph systems and every major continent, in Africa, in India, and in China, uh, throughout Western Europe and Russia, and the, and the Americas. And everywhere in the world, these systems uh, were basically destroyed by the uh, Carrington event of 1859 in very traumatic ways. Uh, telegraph keys melted, telegraph wires burst into flames, causing forest fires. The transatlantic cable that had just been laid in 1859 connecting the United States to uh, Europe the pulse was so powerful it reached down miles deep into the Atlantic Ocean and destroyed it, and they had to relay that. So this is a, the likelihood of a threat from the sun happening is a, 100%. It will happen. And, in fact, we were we nearly escaped getting hit by a Carrington-class coronal mass ejection on the 25th of July in, uh, in 2012, just a few years ago. It, missed, uh, it crossed the path of the Earth and missed us by just three days. We're basically in a Russian roulette game of Russian roulette with the sun. These things come out of the sun all the time, and sooner or later, one of them is going to hit us again. Uh, you don't have to be a genius to know that since the lake, you know, these happen every century or so. It's been more than a century since 1859, so we're overdue for that.
0: So, Dr. Pry, if if such an event were to happen, now. Or is it conceivable that the North Korean satellites, the two satellites, they're some 300 kilometers above the Earth's surface, is it conceivable that the regime in North Korea has been able to create uh, a reality where those satellites are platforms for the explosion of a thermonuclear device in order to create the kind of um, electromagnetic pulse that you're talking about that would fry our electrical grid systems is that conceivable, and if that were to happen, a lot of ifs here, uh, I've heard that 90% of the world's population, or at least 90% of North America's population, would be dead within a year. Is all of that yes. conceivable?
1: Uh, not just conceivable. The EMP Commission is very concerned about that. Those aren't just my opinions, but the the commission, you know, which is an official congressional commission that was set up uh, to advise the Department of Defense and uh, the Congress and the White House, you know, has been warning that those satellites could be nuclear-armed with, with what we call, what the Russians and Chinese call, super EMP weapons. There's a kind of thermonuclear nuclear weapon, not, be, not, of, not of large yield. Most people think you need a big, high-yield weapon to make an EMP. And, and, a, and a big, high-yield weapon of conventional design will make a powerful EMP. Uh, you don't need that, though. Uh, you know, even a Hiroshima-type primitive bomb would be enough to have catastrophic consequences. But the worst EMP threat, the worst is the nuclear EMP threat from this super EMP weapon. It's a small thermonuclear device, which is not designed to make a big explosion. It's designed to convert the energy into gamma rays, which is what causes it causes the what we call the E1 EMP effect. It's a kind of EMP that isn't made in nature, and it doesn't occur in these dramatic solar storms. It's very high frequency, and so it will actually do a lot deeper damage than the solar storms because it can couple directly into small objects like personal computers on your desk, automobiles, airplanes flying through the sky, and that sort of thing. And it can also, of course, destroy electric grids, communication systems, transportation systems, the food and water infrastructures that we depend upon and do so at the speed of light over an area given the orbital attitude of the satellites over virtually all of Canada, the 48 contiguous United States and much of Mexico. And um, yes, we also have estimated that up to 90% of the population could die. Something between two thirds and 90% we think would be a good estimate for that. And I know people are appalled and they wonder, how do we get those numbers? It's not difficult to do the calculation yourself you know, you can Google the population of the United States in the year 1900, You know, which is uh, prior to the introduction of electricity and the modern high-tech critical infrastructures that now support our population of 325 million people. 325 million people today, all right? But before we had these modern, the only reason we can support such a large population is because of the electric grid, and the other life-sustaining critical infrastructures that depend upon electricity. That's how we get that big population. But in 1900, the population was 76 million, all right? And in 1900, uh, North America, the United States, and Canada were among the most advanced societies on Earth. And uh, the non-electrical, the critical infrastructures we had then were things like coal-fired locomotives with a national you know, railroad system. Seventy-five percent of the people were farmers. Uh, Every house had well water. Uh, You know, we weren't dependent on electrical-driven wells and pumps and and things of that sort. There were hundreds of thousands of horse-drawn vehicles in a uh, uh, well-planned, well-developed market economy for delivering food and agricultural products to the cities so that people could be fed none of that exists anymore it's gone with the wind so you know if you were to lose the electric grid in our modern critical infrastructures we just know from history that the natural our ability that back in the good old days when we had those infrastructures we could support only 76 million people so subtract 76 million people yeah. from 325 million right. and that's going to be at risk and because of those 76 million were sustained by infrastructures that no longer exist, logically, the number of people that the, what remains will be able to survive is going to be under that number.
0: Right, Dr. Pry, let me get you to, please hold on, I have to take a break. We're going to come back and we're going to talk some more with Dr. Peter Pry. This is, um, this is alarming stuff, but it's not anything that you, we should um, just ignore. And that seems to be happening. There just seems to be um, a lack of interest in in really uh, making people aware of what what is going on, could be going on. And not so long ago, people were laughing, or governments were laughing at North Korea and saying, oh, they haven't got anything. They have these old, huge weapons. Now it's known that they've miniaturized their weaponry, and uh, they may just be capable of doing what is being talked about here. Plus, it's not necessary for them to do it from those platforms. There are other opportunities for them to attack if they so chose. What do we do in reply? More with uh, Dr. Peter Pry when we come back on the Roy Green Show on the Chorus Radio Network. He weighs both sides of the story and chooses what's right over what's wrong. More Roy Green on the Chorus Radio Network. Follow me on Twitter at the Roy Green Show. Emails to Roy at RoyGreenShow.com. Listen back to anything that we air on the Roy Green Show page on the websites of the chorus radio stations carrying this program. My guest is Dr. Peter Pry. Uh, He's the executive director of the Congressional Task Force on National and Homeland Security and chief of staff of the Congressional EMP Commission. And he's the author of several books, including Blackout Wars and Electric Armageddon, Dr. Pry, uh, I was also reading from the material that you sent me that a former NASA rocket scientist, James Oberg, who visited North Korea's space launch base and witnessed their measures uh, to conceal space launch payloads, he concludes that uh, there's a very real and significant danger of North Korea taking uh, this kind of action that we've been talking about. And Kim Jong-un doesn't seem to fear any U.S. threats. Now, he may be a risk taker and a gambler, but gamblers become more adventurous when they're holding good cards, or cards they consider to be good good cards. Um, what, what needs to be done, or what can be done, to mitigate against this existential threat?
1: Oh, well, ultimately, the work of the EMP Commission is a good news story. Technologically, we know how to protect against EMP. There's no reason for our countries to be vulnerable to it. The Department of Defense has been hardening military systems for over 50 years, using things like Faraday cages and blocking devices and surge arresters. We, we never hardened, unfortunately, the civilian critical infrastructures, and that's what we need to be doing. Uh, it, uh, it's not enough to just protect our military forces. We need to, the highest priority should be to pr- be protecting our people. And it wouldn't even cost that much. You know, we estimate that it would cost about $2 billion to protect the electric grid, which is... Uh, which is what we give away in foreign aid to Pakistan every year. If we fo- suspended foreign aid to Pakistan for one year and spent it on hardening the electric grid, it would go a long way toward solving this problem. And I'm happy to say, and one of the reasons I'm so pleased to be invited to speak on the radio to Canadian audience, you know, is that my task force has has partnered with, like the Mackenzie Institute in Canada. You know, we have partners in Canada who are also interested in protecting the Canadian grid because the Canadian grid and the US grid are not separate, they're organically linked. We are in the same boat. You know, we are serviced by by one big grid. And the um, McKenzie Institute has been, holds cybersecurity conferences every year and tries to advance the policy of EMP preparedness. I have testified before the Canadian Parliament on the importance of doing this and I think it would be easier to make progress in Canada than it would in the United States you know, in part because your utilities are more sensitive to the EMP threat. You had the Hydro-Quebec solar storm in 1989 that blacked out half of Canada in 90 seconds. It only lasted a day, but it did send a message to the utilities that, hey, this natural EMP threat at least is real. And um, while they haven't done what they really should be doing, I mean, they haven't protected the, the Canadian grid part of the grid to the extent that really should be done, they've Done better than we've done in the United States, and uh, uh, your government also, your Canada isn't hobbled by the lobbies that we have for the electric power industry. I mean, we have, you know, our electric power is provided by 3,000 different utilities, you know, and uh, with a very powerful lobbying organization called the NERC, North American Electric Reliability Corporation. That's supposed to provide for grid security, but in reality, it's a lobby mm-hmm. proposing almost anything. And they interfere in Canada too because they they have they have uh, influence in Canada to try to stop the Canadian utilities from mm-hmm. protecting themselves. Doctor Pryor, have to do the I, thing in the United States.
0: I have about forty five seconds. Could you just encapsulate what we're facing now, right now?
1: I uh, we're facing Caligula in the form of Kim Jong Un, armed with nuclear weapons. Uh, you know, this guy is so unstable uh, and uh, unpredictable. As you said, he's a risk taker. Uh, I'm afraid people are deluding themselves if, if they think that that uh, mutual assured destruction is a... Uh, the, that they think worked during the Cold War, and I can tell you in a di- different time that okay. it really didn't. We came very close to to knocking ourselves out in the Cold War. Right. But Kim Jong-un is... Uh, uh, we cannot uh, We cannot allow him to acquire the ability to
0: strike. Dr. Pry, if I don't stop, stop, the satellite is going to stop us. Thank you so much for the time. I hope you'll come back.
1: Oh, I'd be be honored
0: to. All right. Thank you so much. Dr. Peter Pry on the Roy Green Show.